He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent, you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Church at nine again. Um, good to spend the end of last year with you, and then beginning of this year uh, with you again. We'll continue our psalm series, picking off from Psalm 90 uh, last year, uh, asking the Lord to teach us to count the days, and now uh, uh, starting the new year with Psalm 91, thinking about the security that the Lord gives us. Uh, most people spend a great deal of life trying to buy or build or win security for themselves and the people they love. Have you found it yet in your life? Are you living a secure life? Have you paid off all your mortgage and all your home? If so, do you hold an adequate insurance for all your properties? That's important, right? Or are you in possession of good health? Events of the past two years have really shown us how fragile our health and safety really are. Or have you made enough contacts, connections? Do you know the right people in your circle? Have you acquired enough power, earned enough affection and respect, saved enough of your time and funds? Now, just how much is enough to really have a secure it's an insecure life, an insecure world, isn't it? And the insecurity of life raises the question of whose words you will believe when it comes to security. And will you believe the university promotion video that speaks of the proven track record of success if you graduate from our university? Or will you believe the health and fitness guru that says a particular type of diet is key to secure enough health 
and lasting happiness in life? Or will you believe the words of a financial planner who says how important it is to start saving early? Or a pep talk speaker about his great investment plan for the next decades? And not only do we find it hard to know if we have adequate security for ourselves, we're not even sure what secure life looks like, do we? Now, Psalm 91 has important words to our insecure world. The psalmist says, There is a way to ultimate safety and total security. So let's listen to the psalmist's answer to our question about security under the heading, Who will find security? What does this security look like? And how may you and I also come to share in this safety? come under this protection for ourselves. So who will find security in our insecure world? The psalmist gives an answer straight off the bat in verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Now at first sight, verse 1 reads like a topology where first line and second line basically just repeat the same idea. Uh, we may be tempted to respond. Of course, the one who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty, because Most High is the same as, same as the Almighty, and shelter and shadow are the same thing. But uh, that's not how poetry works. The second line actually gives emphasis and development to the first line. There is a bit of a progress between dwelling and abiding. It's a bit like the difference between asking someone, where are you staying? As opposed to, where do you live? One has a bit of a more temporary connotation, whereas the other has a more permanent connotation, doesn't it? Now, we see this in people's spiritual experiences as well, and this might be the case in your experience. Now, where people visit our church, you know, check out church at night, and then they come to taste the goodness of the Lord as they hear the Word of God proclaimed. And they sense the safety of Christian fellowship as the evidence of your genuine and sincere love for one another is demonstrated. They smell the air and think, oh, it's different. And they decide to dwell, abide in, and make it their own safety and security. That's the kind of picture we have in verse 1. The one who lives in the safe place that the Most High God offers will really rest safely in the shadow of that Almighty God. That is to say, if someone genuinely seeks security in this God and God alone, if someone says, God, you're the only one through whom I seek my security, you're the only one upon whom I depend my safety upon, then truly you will find it. That's what verse 1 is saying. And this is the big theme of the psalm. And we might even say that's the big theme of the whole Bible. If you truly seek the Lord, He will provide. Now in verse 2, we meet a man who fulfills what the psalmist says in verse 1. He responds to God with a single-minded faith. Listen to him. I will say to the Lord, My refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now this man knows God both in depth and in truth, doesn't he? in knowledge, as well as in person. A number of names of God are used in verse 1 and 2. First, Most High. 
is the name that goes all the way back to Genesis 14, Melchizedek, which speaks of the greatness of God above all other gods. Now, of course, we know that there is no such thing as other gods other than the one true living God. But in the context of the Old Testament, uh, the demonic spirit, Satan, led other nations to believe that there are such things as other gods. And led them into idolatry, worshipping false gods over idols. In that context, calling God the Most High was a confession that He is the God of the highest. In a world of competing powers that says, I have a say and control over your security and safety in life, so you better do what I tell you to do, you better worship me, you better be on my good side, He's saying, He's the sovereign God. He's the only God who sustains me. He's the God in whom I live, move, and have my being. He's also the God Almighty, another ancient title that goes back to Genesis of the time of Abraham. Uh, this is the name by which God delivered Israel out of Egypt with a strong hand and mighty power. Then there is Yahweh in verse 2, the Lord written in capital letters in English translation. This is God's personal name revealed to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and by which God made covenant with the people of Israel through Moses and Mount Sinai. So remember the very first words of the Ten Commandments, which read, I am the Lord your God. I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other God. So, with these names, we have the story of the Old Testament. Now, this man, the person in verse 2, possesses true knowledge of God. And not only that, his knowledge of God is personal. God is not just refuge, God is my refuge. God is not just fortress, God is my fortress. He is my God in whom I trust. He knows God in truth and in death. He knows God according to God's revelation, and he has received God as my God and my Savior with wholehearted devotion and trust. Uh, so the answer to the question, who will find security in the insecure world, is the person who knows God truly and trusts God alone for their safety. Now that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? And it almost sounds too easy. We're very used to hearing this, Christians growing up in church, until we honestly examine our own hearts and what occupies our minds and our own response to life's insecurities. Because you and I may like the idea of seeking security in God and God alone, but we do not. In reality, we seek security in all the other places. Our heart delights in the security of earthly shelter more often than we delight in the shelter of the Most High. Buying, owning, renovating, moving to a better house. Far more, those of thoughts are in our mind than thinking about the shadow of the Almighty, our eternal home. safety and security in our own health and fitness. Our mind finds safety in our education, qualification, 
our connections, family and friendships, and in many different places of life. Now, to be sure, uh, we do include God in the mix, but that's exactly what we do. He's in the mix, but He's not our ultimate security. We are not like the man in this psalm who seeks safety in God and Him alone. So the psalmist uh, both has good news and bad news for us. Good news is that there is a way to ultimate safety and total protection. It's living under the shadow of the Almighty. He is Almighty, so if you're under His shadow, you are safe. But the bad news is that left to ourselves, we cannot possibly inherit this promise of security for ourselves. Because we are not like this man in verse 2. We, we, we put God in the mix, at least once a week when we come to church on Sunday, or uh, at times when we realize that the other things that we seek security really doesn't deliver and disappoint us, we look for God. But our tendencies are always seeking security and shadow of other things. So we need to find an answer as to how we may share in this safety and come under the shadow of the Almighty like this man of faith in verse 2. And we'll come back to this on the point 4. But for now, let's take a deeper look at God's security. What is His security like? Just how safe is God's security? How high is it? How deep is it? How wide is it? Now listen to the psalmist's answer from verse 3 again. Verse 3. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. Now, verse 3 speaks of two types of deliverance. First, deliverance from personal attack. A fowler who sets out to trap and capture. Now, it's a picture of a hostile people trying to harm you, isn't it? But God will protect you from every personal attack. Uh, second, there is also deliverance from impersonal attack, like the deadly pestilence, a virus, and illnesses we are so familiar with now. It's impersonal, isn't it? But it can often be more deadly. Now, that's why the current pandemic has been so devastating for so long. The virus is invisible to our eyes. It knows no boundaries. It breaks home security threatens to break down medical system. It escapes border security and afflicts people across the globe. Pestilence exposes how insecure our world truly is. But God delivers them all faithfully. Whether it be personal attack, impersonal attack that you cannot see with your eyes, God has it. A verse 4 uses the image of God as a large and powerful protective bird covering the man of faith with his strong feathers, so that under God's wings, he finds refuge. Now, verses 5 to 6 speaks vividly of protection at all times and all threats, night and day. This security is, is 24-7. In darkness or at noonday, at all times, God is there for protection. God's protection does not mean arrows won't fly at you. The, the mere fact that verse 5 says, nor the arrow that flies by, means that arrows will be thrown at you. 
It doesn't mean that you won't face darkness and confront it with pestilence, but it does mean that through it all, all things will be exploded in you. Now, verses 7 to 8 stress the extremity of the danger from which the man of faith will be guarded. Now, listen to her again. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Uh, these verses made this psalm a favorite prayer for the soldiers before they go into the war uh, in, in the tradition. Now, huge numbers will fall in battle around him at home. Nevertheless, the man of faith will be kept safe. And notice the reason why thousands fall around him. It's because they are wicked, says the psalmist at the end of verse 7. Uh, then conversely, the reason why this man is protected is because he is righteous. He is man of faith. He is the ideal man of faith depicted in Psalm 1, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor sits uh, in the seat of scoffers or stands in the way of sinners. He is also the anointed king, anointed son of God of Psalm 2. And this is why this man is protected, because he is person in right relationship with God. He is the Son of God. Now verses 9 to 10 summarizes what's been said so far yet again. Verse 9, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your people. That's a beautiful picture there, isn't it? Verses 9 and 10. This man makes the Lord his dwelling place, and what happens? In turn, the Lord comes and dwells with him and makes his home the Lord's dwelling place. So he lives with the Lord. And for that reason, because the Lord is with him, even though he abides in earthly tents, and that may look all fragile and frail like every other earthly tent, but there's more to reality than looks the eye. The Lord is with him. So no matter how fragile his earthly tent may not be, it is ultimately totally safe. Now, verses 11 to 13 explains how God will provide safety for him. Again, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the leon lion and the serpent will trample on the foot. Now, we don't often think or talk about the angels very much these days, do we? It's kind of unscientific. Uh, It's not in with the modern world. Uh, But I was once told about a story of a Christian apologist in his university evangelism rallies. He will always start the first talk with angels and Satan. And his reason for that was that helped his hearers to understand that Christianity was about supernaturalism, not simply moralism. At the heart of Christianity is meeting the God of the Most High. Meeting the God Almighty. Not simply about being good. Although, because God is also good, He will have things to say about behaviors. But it's not merely about ethics. Now, one of the chief functions here, uh, we don't know what uh, uh, the angels actually look like. That's another difference between our culture and what the Bible says. 
how the culture doesn't take the reality of angels and spiritual reality properly, but they speculate a lot about how they, how they may look like, their appearances. They make much of them. Bible doesn't speak much about their appearances very much, but rather Bible majors on their function and the purpose of their existence. And according to the Bible, one of the chief functions of the angels is to guard and serve people whom God has chosen for himself. So the angels will protect the man of faith in all his ways, Thomas says, wherever he goes, whatever he does. The angels will protect him from every harm and ensure that he wins astonishing victories over every possible enemy that is symbolized here by the power of the lion and the dangerous threat of a poisonous snake in verse 12. So the psalm concludes with an oracle from the lips of God himself in verses 14 to 16. Um, remember, if you were here for last week in Psalm 90, Psalm 90 took us really down to the dust uh, and spoke about what we are made of and that we really need to understand how dusty and desperately needy we are and to seek God. Now, from Psalm 91, we actually hear a voice from God himself. From the dust, now we hear God himself speaking these words to this man of faith. Verse 14. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I'll answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I'll rescue him and honor him. With long life, I'll satisfy him and show him my salvation. We've come a full circle since verses 1 and 2. The reason why God assures of his protection is because this man truly loves God. His love is not merely sentimental. How often our love for God is just sentimental, isn't it? We sing about it. We say we love God. But we cannot follow that to change the action and transform the mind. But this man is not like that. Uh, when God speaks of this man knowing his name, uh, God is drawing attention to the man's faithfulness to God's covenant. Everything that God revealed about himself, this man honors him and obeys him. This man demonstrates his love for God by being obedient to God's word and loving God with all his heart and mind and soul and strength. That's why he is in father-son relationship with the Most High. That when this man calls, God will answer him. That God will be with him in his trouble. God will rescue, honor, and glorify him. And God will show him what is in God's heart. God will show him God's salvation plan. So Psalm 91 is truly a remarkable promise to our insecure world. And no wonder it has been a favorite psalm throughout the ages, and especially in desperate times, such as the soldiers, hour before going into battle. A chaplain will come and read this psalm to them. But for the wonder of this psalm to be truly ours, we must answer the question we raised earlier. How can we inherit the promise of Psalm 91 for you and I personally? How can we actually say this psalm and believe it and claim it for ourselves? Now, on the face of it, this question, can we share in God's security and come under his protection like the man of faith in Psalm 91? The answer must be no. 
as we said earlier, because we are not at our core men and women of faithfulness. We do not love God with all our hearts. We do not hold the fast to God in faithfulness day and night. This, the promise of this psalm is first and foremost given and fulfilled by Jesus Christ, the greatest son of David. Jesus Christ is the man who dwelt entirely in the shelter of God, his Father, throughout his earthly life. Remember how he said, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, but nevertheless he knew God is his own. Through every danger, snare, and toil, Jesus is the one who always said to his Father, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. So this psalm was first written and given to Jesus, and subsequently fulfilled by Jesus. And there lies the good news for us. We can inherit the promise of this psalm, but only through and in Jesus Christ. Now, looking at Jesus' life on earth and how he fulfilled this psalm more closely, we also learn something deeper about the nature of God's security and promise of safety. So here I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 4 for a moment, the passage that Huey read for us. So if you have your Bibles with you, can you turn to Matthew chapter 4? I want to spend some time there because uh, Psalm 91 is quoted in Matthew chapter 4 and it really reveals the nature of God's security and how we are to claim this promise through Jesus Christ. Now, when the devil came to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, he quoted from this psalm, invoking the promise of Psalm 91, verses 11 to 12. We don't often give the devil the benefit of the doubt, do we? And we probably shouldn't. But we shouldn't write off the devil's biblical knowledge too quickly. He knows what he's doing. Now, let me ask you a question. What's wrong with the devil's words to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verse 6? Listen to what he says again. He says, if you are the Son of God, and we know Jesus truly was the Son of God, and the promise of Psalm 90 was given to him, then what's wrong with the devil saying, throw yourself down and let God protect you and honor you? But what's wrong with the devil's temptation? Have you ever wondered that and thought about it? Uh, we are in the habit of quickly dismissing the devil uh, uh, because we don't really see the allure of anyone wanting to throw themselves off a cliff, do we? Unless you're really into uh, thrill sports or something. But the devil is not dumb. This was a genuine temptation. Je Jesus really had to wrestle against it, this temptation. This was as real of a temptation to turn the stones into bread and satisfy himself after fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Now, that first temptation, we get it really easily, don't we? Because we can quickly picture ourselves into Israel, or if we are not fed for 40 days. And if the devil came and said, if you are the son of God, and this promise is given to you, just you know, change the stones into bread and eat that, we get that. That would be tempting. But the second temptation, I don't think we Christians often reflect about it very much. But I think you see, it was a real temptation, just like the first temptation. So what's the struggle in the second temptation? Well, I think, quite simply, Jesus the man wanted what every son and daughter wants. 
to be safe and to be affirmed in God's love towards you. You see, jumping off the cliff is not really about jumping off the cliff. The deeper underlying issue was the affirmation of God's protection and assurance of God's love in the midst of this deep neediness and weariness. If Jesus jumped off the cliff and God visibly saved him and provided something, Jesus could look at that and say, yeah, I know God truly loves me. I know I'm saved. And that's how we often uh, respond and pray for in times of our affliction, don't we? Have you ever prayed that? Am I the only one who's so weak in my Christian faith that I often pray like that when I go through difficult times? God, if you release me and rescue me from this danger, I'll know, I'll be affirmed in your love towards me. I'll believe that you truly care about my safety and security. We want that, don't we? Satan knew that desire of the human heart. And he tempted Jesus to verify God's love in the here and now. But as we know very well, thankfully our Lord Jesus refused to take that route. And not because he didn't believe in God's promise, rather because he so believed God's promise that even if he goes through the valley of death, the Lord will be with him. Even if his eyes could not explain Psalm 91's promise, Jesus so believed that God will come for him. And he believed it even unto death. That's what Jesus did, didn't he? Trusting God's word, Jesus resisted the temptation for self-protection and went to the cross. Jesus didn't want to ask God anything more than his word. Jesus had already heard a few verses earlier in, at the end of Matthew chapter 3, God, the voice of God speaking, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And in that, Jesus trusted God and went to the cross. And if you read the gospel on the way there, the Satan came back again and again, time and time, through the voice of a friend Peter, you are the Christ, you shall not suffer and go to the cross. Invoke the Psalm 91. And Jesus will say, Ah, I recognize your voice. I saw you in the wilderness. Get behind me, Satan. Even at the cross, even as Jesus hung on the cross, remember? Uh, the crowds were uh, calling up on him, mocking him. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Maybe they had Psalm 91 in mind. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Let God's angels save you. Remember what Jesus said. I could have easily called 12 legions of angels to protect me. But he will obey his Father even unto death. Because he so trusted God's promise of safety. Jesus would not win security for himself, even though he had every right to do so, and every power to do so. Instead, into God's hand, he will commit his spirit, his safety, his security. And in doing so, Jesus inherited the promise of eternal security for him and I. Because of his death and resurrection, we will never see death again. Because Jesus, through his death and resurrection, trampled on the serpent's head victoriously, never to die again. 
So because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we can claim the promise of Psalm 91 for us, the promise of God's total security and ultimate safety is ours in Him. But being safe in God's security, God's everlasting security, does not mean life of ease and comfort here on earth, just as it was for Jesus. Uh, in 1956, five United States missionaries in their 20s landed on a shore in Ecuador near the homes of a Native American people, hoping to share the good news of Christ with them. Uh, these local people savagely killed the five missionaries. These men of faith did not find God's protection and security, apparently. Yet the widow of one of the missionaries Elizabeth Elliot subsequently wrote a memoir under a title taken from verse 1 of this song. Okay, there'll be a slide showing the, the book, Shadow of the Almighty. It was a brave and insightful title for the story of a man who died an untimely and violent death. You know, he was 28 when he died. But Elizabeth inherited the faith of Jesus Christ, she could see. For to be in the shadow of the Almighty by being a man or woman in Christ does not insulate us from suffering, sickness, or even violent death. It means something deeper than this, as it did for Lord Jesus Christ. It means being assured of bodily resurrection and eternal glorification. The fulfillment of this psalm came for Jesus after his suffering and death. The promise of God's protection did not give Jesus an immunity passport. But in his bodily resurrection, we see God's seal of eternal security and comprehensive victory. And the Most High God guarantees that all who abide in Jesus Christ, all who called the Jesus as my God and my Lord and my Savior and my Father, though they die, shall ultimately live and be rescued from all trials. That is the promise we can claim for ourselves in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Through many dangers, snare, and toil, you are our refuge, our fortress. Our God, in whom we trust, Lord. We will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by the day, nor the pandemic that stalks darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. For we have already died with Christ, and our lives are hidden with Christ in heaven under the shadow of